Before I begin, I want to offer a welcome to our YouTube audience. We have officially moved into the 21st century, and every week, uh, every week sermon videos are being uploaded to our very own FPC YouTube channel for online viewing. Uh, a couple of our sermons, some of the Fruit of the Spirit sermons that Steve has been preaching, have, have reached over 200 views, which... I think is pretty incredible. I'd say that that FPC has gone viral, uh, if you know what that means. Um, If you've missed any Sundays this summer, they're all right there, and I encourage you to watch. You can find the links on our website. Now, of course, I have more modest expectations for sermon views of mine. Um, I know there, there will be at least one view, because a young preacher can always count on his mother. I need the Holy Spirit to join us. I expect that you do too, so let us pray. Spirit of God, we ask that you move in this place, that you dwell among us, that your presence be felt, that our ears, that our eyes, that our hearts be open to whatever it is that you have to say to us today. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. This morning, I'm going to read out of Paul's letter to the Philippians. I'm going to read out of chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 7. Paul says, Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as rubbish because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as rubbish because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are of mature mind be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, who wrote it to the fledgling church in Philippi that he founded, he had a very impressive resume before he was knocked over the head by the risen Jesus. His name was Saul at that point, by the way. And earlier in his letter, he actually lays out this resume for the church. He tells us that he had an impeccable pedigree. He was a circumcised member of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. And that was a big deal, you see. 
And he had a prominent role as a Pharisee, who was a religious leader of that time. And that was also a big deal. He even says that he had a spotless spirituality. He says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You see, this is exactly the kind of guy that every first century Jewish mother hoped that her daughter would marry. He was well educated. He had a great job. He worked hard and was driven. He even was religious. But then it happened. It started out as just another day to work on his way to Damascus. And along the way, the risen Jesus shows up and knocks him to the ground and reveals himself as Lord. This must have been particularly astonishing and and disturbing to Paul or Saul at that point. Because you see, he had been one of the most zealous persecutors of the early Christians. As you might expect, nothing was the same for Paul after that. He spends the next decades of his life evangelizing the non-Jews, the Greeks. And he plants churches all throughout the region of Asia Minor. I think naturally we read this story as this bizarre episode that is remote from anything that we would ever experience. But actually I want to suggest that there is an important aspect of Paul's story that isn't as unique or as remote as we like to think. Because we all have moments and experiences where life takes a sudden and unexpected turn. And things will never be the same as they were before. We look at Paul's turnaround moment and we see everything that came next. And I think we assume that it was a welcome interruption. But if you stop and think about it for a moment, can you imagine everything that he had known and believed and lived for was uprooted He was even given a new name, which in the Bible means that something truly significant has happened. Saul to Paul. I mean, it rhymed, so that had to help a little bit, I would think. But imagine if you were given a new name. I want you to go ahead for a minute, and if you're feeling a little bit silly... I invite you to turn to someone around you and and give that person a new name, something that rhymes with their current name. Go ahead. All right, settle down. I see some smiles, so I assume some of these new names are funny. Anyone like or prefer their new name out there? No hands raised. Okay, you can keep your current one. As disruptive as this encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road was for Paul, he emerges from the, from the disorientation a transformed man. And now he considers that everything that he had worked so hard for in this first half of his life 
was just rubbish in comparison to the surpassing worth of what he has discovered. And that's actually the word that he uses, rubbish. It's rubbish in comparison to what he has now, which is knowing the risen Christ Jesus. After what happens on that road, knowing this Christ and also making him known is the only thing that Paul really cares about. Life periodically moves us from a state of orientation where everything is just the way we like it, or at least where things are comfortable, to a stage of disorientation where we find that the well-oriented life is now behind us. It's in this disoriented stage that we face some of life's most important questions. And now the temptation is overwhelming to get life back to the way that it once was. But that is like trying to climb into the past tense. The risen Christ Jesus meets us in this disoriented stage of life and invites us into a new stage, a new life of reorientation. And it's in my experience that most of us go through this not once, but many times along the way in life. In our text this morning, Paul is urging us to follow him in straining forward toward this new and reoriented life. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call in Jesus Christ. Here Paul is actually invoking a very familiar metaphor of runners in a race who don't look back, but strain and lean forward toward the finish line. Now, I know track and field events have just started in the Olympics, so we haven't seen too many races yet. But as you all know, you know how the runners at the very end of the race, they they lean their heads forward as they try and cross the finish line first. It's something of a metaphor for how they have conducted their years of training, leaning forward toward this goal of winning the race. The last thing that a runner can do as they approach the finish line is to look back. Paul says that in order for us to strain forward, we must forget what lies behind. Forget what lies behind. Now that's easier said than done, isn't it? Because as we know, there are so many temptations to look back. Some of you who are more seasoned among us You look back to what you might consider the glory days, remembering old accolades, busyness, positions of prominence. You might remember when your bodies were younger and more spry. If this is you, it's very tempting to look backwards for your sense of self-worth and identity. Others of us, and I'm looking at me here, we look back toward the old mistakes and the regrets. We cannot believe some of the mistakes that we have made, especially the mistakes that we have made over and over again. And we get caught up in how the consequences of those mistakes have shaped our present, and we become discouraged. 
We can't help but believe that we are forever defined by our past. Some of us are tempted to look back out of fear and uncertainty. The old, well-oriented life we knew well. But when we look into the future, we see only mystery and uncertainty. The Hebrews knew all about this. They were constantly tempted to look back and even long for the slavery that they were under, the slavery that they knew, rather than face the uncertainty of what was to come in the wilderness. Paul teaches us that all the only thing that we need to see when we look back is the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ is where all of our achievements and accomplishments, where our impressive resumes are given a far greater significance than anything we have achieved on our own. When we look back to the cross, we find that it is there where all of our sins, all of our mistakes, even the ones that we continue to make over and over again, they're removed as far as the east is from the west. At the cross is where God boldly proclaims that he died to love us and to hold us, and so we are not to fear The same Christ who once died for you on the cross is now risen and waiting to give you a new life. And so we have the cross behind us. We have the risen Christ ahead of us. This is what we need to know to strain forward. Like many of you, I've been glued to the TV this week watching the Olympics, not getting enough sleep especially watching all of the gymnastics competition. It's my favorite. Now, for a week every four years, I suddenly become an expert on gymnastics judging. Does this happen to anyone else? Anyone else suddenly become an expert? Feeling outrage and indignation at some of the scores. It's like, excuse me, you took off how many points and deductions on that routine? I asked the judge, I have this conversation with them from my living room couch. Someone must be in a cranky mood today. And whenever someone from the U.S. gets a low score, I just just assume that they hate the United States of America. But I can't help but marvel at some of these gymnasts. And not just their chiseled arms, but just thinking about the singular commitment they have made to pursuing their passion. They say yes to this rigorous, life-consuming training program. They say no to stopping just because it's tiring or getting too hard. They say no to anything that encumbers them from reaching their goals. They say yes to anything that helps them achieve their goals. They have focused their life on this one thing and everything else comes after. And having this one thing in their heart, in their mind, and in their soul allows them to strain forward at all costs toward that which they hope and desire. I think this is our calling as well. I think this is what it means, like Paul, to strain forward. 
Of course, this assumes that like Paul or, or even like these gymnasts, that we all know what that one thing is in our lives. Let me see if I can give us some help with that this morning. God's calling in our lives are very different. And these callings change along the way. But here's the thing. All of our callings, all of our callings are always and only about our first and our primary calling, which is knowing Christ Jesus, our Savior. That is what Paul means when he says that he considers everything else rubbish, even his unmatched resume, compared to knowing Christ. Out of this primary calling, all of our secondary callings emerge. Some are called to know Christ through their studies. Others are called to know Christ through their work, through their parenting, through caring for their aging parents. Others are called to know Christ even through adverse health issues, through aging, even through painful loss. Out of every circumstance in our life that we can face, we are given an opportunity to draw nearer to Christ and to draw deeper into relationship with him. And when we allow this to be our singular focus and our passion, for this to be our one thing, when we consider everything else secondary to this pursuit, the good news is that then we find the life that we have always been looking for. And so like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, we are called to say yes to every interruption, to every unanticipated turn that we experience. Now this doesn't mean that we have to like it when that happens, right? And there is likely to be pain and grief over what we are losing or leaving behind. Don't hear me as dismissing or minimizing any of this. But when we frame these pivotal turnaround moments as invitations to put Christ as the center of our focus and the source of our strength to make knowing Christ that one thing— when we trust that God is right there to accompany us on the journey, and when we believe that we strain forward not just by our own strength and our own willpower, but by the power of God's Spirit that dwells inside each of us, then we are saying yes to the life that God has called us into. My brothers and sisters in Christ, will you say yes to this new life? It will be my prayer that each of us will, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.